You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Missy Ryan, national security reporter with the Washington Post. And I'm honored to be joined here today by the president of Latvia, Agil Levitz. Mr. Good president, morning. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Yeah. Well, let's get right to it. We have a lot of important topics to cover today. And I'm looking forward to you sharing the perspective of the Baltic nations with our viewers. First of all, Mr. President, you attended the extraordinary meeting of NATO leaders in Brussels this week. What do you see as the most important outcomes from this meeting? And do you think the decisions that NATO is making are able to change President Putin's calculus in Ukraine? The most important outcome of the yesterday's meeting of uh, the heads of states of NATO member states was unity. So all 30 member states of NATO are united, united, united in the will to defend our territory, NATO territory, and united in our will to help Ukraine to fight for freedom for their own state. So, uh, and these uh, two topics uh, were uh, on the center of our yesterday's deliberations. Uh, so, concerning um, NATO, NATO allies are ready to increase uh, military spendings. It's very important uh, for, for the future in order to um, to increase our capacity to defend ourselves, the allies. Uh, we will uh, strengthen especially uh, the eastern flank of NATO. And that means that uh, we had uh, till, uh, till recently four NATO battle groups in the eastern flank countries in Estonia, in Latvia, in Lithuania, in Poland. And it was decided to double with uh, battle groups from four to eight, and there would be four additional battle groups in Slovakia, in Hungary, in Romania, and in Bulgaria. And uh, in general, uh, we uh, will increase the NATO presence in uh, Eastern flank countries with uh, more than uh, 40,000 uh, soldiers, uh, 40,000 people uh, will uh, join uh, already existing NATO forces uh, here in, in the eastern flank. So uh, I think it's a very important uh, result of uh, our uh, meeting yesterday, but it is only a preparation for uh, the ordinary meeting of the heads of states uh, of NATO uh, in June in Madrid. This extraordinary meeting was uh, necessary because of the Russian war against uh, Ukraine, and uh, we demonstrated our unity. Let's talk about Latvia specifically. How many NATO forces are present in Latvia, and are you pre uh, satisfied with NATO's military presence in the Baltic nations specifically given their geography and their history with uh, uh, as Soviet republics? Uh, uh, we uh, have a, a NATO uh, military uh, personnel from 10 other nations, 10 other NATO nations here. 
and uh, we have several thousand from other uh, NATO member states, and we have also, of course, our own uh, military forces. So uh, that for the moment it is uh, enough, but uh, because of the change of the strategic situation in Europe and in the world at all, uh, we need uh, more uh, uh, troops and uh, we need to strengthen all uh, the eastern flank of NATO. And of course, Latvia is part of the eastern flank. And uh, we uh, will uh, prepare uh, our, uh, our uh, proposals uh, so that we have uh, uh, more um, emphasis to defense, deterrence and defense, and of course to uh, forward deployment of uh, NATO troops in our region, Baltic region, but in general in the eastern part of Europe. It's interesting to see NATO's leadership make these decisions following President Putin's invasion of Ukraine that many countries in Eastern Europe have been calling for for years. We know that Baltic nations have warned the West for a really long time about the threat of Russia and the need to provide a stronger deterrence posture in Eastern Europe. Do you think leaders in Western Europe um, in other parts of the transatlantic alliance failed to heed that warning or just didn't believe the, uh, the severity of the Russian threat? Concerning the security of NATO member states, I think uh, we were all, always secure and uh, it would, would also be in the future. But uh, you are right, there was a certain uh, naivety on uh, the part of Western societies and on uh, the part of uh, Western politicians concerning uh, the character of uh, Putin's Russia. Uh, Russia is an aggressive, imperialistic uh, country uh, which wants to expand uh, the zone of influence uh, on the costs of democratic uh, nations. And it is uh, for all democracies in the world to be, um, to be in line with our own principles. It is not possible to allow that. So, uh, but uh, the uh, good, good news uh, that uh, this uh, naivety, naivety disappears in the last weeks because uh, the whole world uh, sees the uh, real nature of uh, Putin's Russia and uh, we uh, have reacted very quickly. Uh, we have changed our attitude to, uh, to, to Russia and uh, in two directions. So to strengthen our security, security of NATO member states of NATO allies and to help to increase security of our partners and of course in particular um, to give uh, all possible help to Ukraine so uh, that uh, Ukraine can uh, defend um, uh, the nation, the state um, itself. Do you think that Putin's actions in Ukraine could have been prevented if the West, if NATO had had a stronger resp re response to the 2008 uh, invasion in Georgia, the actions in Crimea, do you think that perhaps it was the lack of more unity, of a stronger economic or security response that encouraged Putin to take these steps? 
Yes, uh, I agree with this appreciation. If NATO and or Western alliance, the Western country would uh, react earlier, 2008, when uh, Russia attacked Georgia, 2014, when uh, Russia attacked Ukraine the first time and annexed one part of uh, Ukrainian territory, uh, if the reaction would be stronger, then of course uh, we would not have this war today. So this is as a failure of uh, Western alliance uh, uh, eight years ago, uh, 14 years ago, uh, and we should not repeat this failure. Uh, I would say in general, uh, if we are looking on, on in history, then appeasement uh, politics uh, towards uh, aggressive imperialistic uh, autocratic states um, are not uh, fruitful. We see that uh, uh, 38, uh, when uh, Western uh, um, countries uh, betrayed Czechoslovakia for, and uh, Hitler could occupy it, uh, it was not enough for him. It, uh, it led to the Second World War. So I would say uh, today we don't have uh, Chamberlains. We, uh, we need more Churchills. And there's another argument that I've heard uh, circulating in recent months, uh, which is that NATO, again, encouraged Putin by expanding in the 1990s and the late 90s and in the early 2000s, unnecessarily antagonizing Putin, which sought to have a buffer um, between the Russian borders and the Western alliance. What do you make of that, given you know the accession history of Latvia and 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 Latvia's position in Eastern Europe? So Latvia and all other new uh, member states of NATO, which uh, joined NATO after 1990, are democratic states, and uh, it was their choice. And of course, as a principle of independence and self-determination, says that it is for the state. Uh, to choose the alliance and all uh, the whole world knows that uh, NATO is a defensive alliance. Uh, no one in NATO are thinking to uh, to expand uh, and to to make a war against another, another country. So uh, it was an increase of security, increase of uh, peace in Europe. Uh, through um, accession of uh, this, uh, member states uh, since 1990. I would uh, say that if it would not be done, then we would have much more worse situation as now. Yeah, I think the elephant in the room uh, when we're talking about Eastern Europe and the Baltics in particular in this conversation about uh, Russia's intentions vis-a-vis -vis NATO is the possibility that President Putin could decide to widen the war, potentially launch a direct attack on NATO nations. And you referenced earlier Latvia's feeling of security. I'm hoping you can elaborate on that. What makes Latvia confident that President Putin wouldn't attempt to roll westward? You know, people talk a lot about the Sawalki gap um, and the possibility that Putin, if he feels like um, his objectives are validated in Ukraine, potentially um, trying to press further west. 
uh, NATO is designed especially for uh, the reason to uh, guarantee the security of the member states, and we have the same guarantees as any other member state of uh, NATO. So that uh, that means that uh, an attack against one member states uh, member state would be automatically attack against all 30 member states, and we should remind that. Uh, uh, NATO uh, as a whole uh, is much more stronger as Russia, stronger in military sense, much more stronger, stronger in economic sense, much more stronger financially and technologically. So uh, there is no, comp no comparison between NATO as a whole and Russia. So uh, Russia will absolutely lose and therefore Russia knows that. Therefore, Russia is hesitating, or uh, there is a, this is a politics of deterrence to, to deter uh, Russia from attacking a NATO, NATO territory. Uh, but uh, the alliance is uh, alliance for the security of the member states, and uh, Ukraine is uh, not a member state, and therefore we are. Uh, not uh, directly participating in, in, in the battles there, but uh, we are giving all possible help to Ukraine so that Ukraine is in the position to defend uh, the country. I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about NATO nations' military aid to Ukraine in a few moments, but first you talked about your own sense of security vis-a-vis -vis the NATO uh, mutual defense guarantee. But can you talk a little bit about the mood among the people in Latvia? Uh, and how does the, how concerned are they? How does the country's specific history with Russia play into public sentiment? We are concerned uh, like uh, every uh, European on uh, Ukraine because we, uh, uh, we, we see that there is an unprovoked, unjustified war against a democratic state. And as a democratic state, Latvia, like United States, like Netherlands, uh, like, like Spain, are worried and, uh, on, on, on that. So uh, concerning our specific history, uh, I said already, we know Russians. We have 50 years of occupation of uh, Russians. And so we are not naive and we know the intentions and, uh, uh, of, of Russia, of Putin's Russia. And uh, I would say that this is our advantage. We know uh, our neighbors. But uh, concerning security, we, are in the, uh, we have the same security as uh, all other uh, member states of NATO. This is the sense of the NATO, of the Union. Been, uh, repeated warnings in recent days uh, to Russia uh, against using uh, chemical or biological weapons in Ukraine and statements from Western officials that Russia could be preparing to use those kind of weapons. From your perspective, Mr. President, how do you think such an attack uh, would or should change the NATO military strategy in Ukraine? And do you think it should prompt NATO nations unilaterally or NATO as an alliance to be engaged more directly in the conflict in Ukraine? 
Of course, uh, this is a red line, and if uh, Russia uh, would um, use uh, nuclear or chemical weapons, weapons, it uh, would be a completely new situation, and we should, we NATO should reconsider the new situation. And uh, we are, uh, we have already stated, uh, so to say, the different statements, and uh, their response would be. Uh, very uh, impressive, and uh, so that uh, Russia uh, would uh, not be happy with this uh, uh, use of uh, these weapons. But just to press you a little bit more on that, certainly everyone in the West would condemn such an attack, but would that or should that prompt a uh, direct involvement, NATO combat forces blowing into Ukraine to, to help protect civilians there from you know, a qualitatively different kind of attack by Russia. Yeah. Uh, also, I cannot uh, say the uh, response in advance. Uh, Russia should not be should not be able to calculate our response, but it would be a very very serious response. And there has been a lot of discussion about the possibility that President Putin could employ a, a nuclear device in Ukraine that he could detonate some sort of tactical nuclear weapon. What is your view on that? And do you think it's it's shocking to me to, to think that we're even talking about this seriously in the 21st century, but what is your view on that possibility? The same as I said already concerning chemical weapons, that will be a com completely new situation and NATO will reconsider uh, the position vis-a-vis uh, -vis this war and vis-a-vis -vis Russia, and Russia would not be happy with uh, this uh, uh, new development. And uh, President Levitz, you said that Latvians know Russia. Um, you've spent a lot of time, I'm sure, observing President Putin um, closely, as closely as one can. How do you think this ends for President Putin? Do you think that there is a chance that there could be a negotiated settlement reached that would uh, satisfy Putin's objectives while being acceptable to Ukraine and to the West? It is for the Ukraine to decide on that. Uh, but I cannot imagine that uh, President Zelensky or uh, another uh, Ukrainian uh, leader uh, will uh, sign uh, such an agreement uh, on the conditions of Putin. Of course, uh, the goal of uh, Ukraine is to restore the independence, uh, the territorial uh, sovereignty of Ukraine. And uh, if uh, this is a result of the negotiations, then of course uh, the war uh, will end. And we are supporting uh, Ukraine uh, because uh, Ukraine is uh, is right, and uh, we cannot uh, accept uh, that uh, there would be uh, a, a result which is uh, not satisfying the Ukrainian side. It's up to Ukraine to decide uh, on that. You say it's up to Ukraine, uh, Mr. President, but at the same time, there certainly is a possibility that the agreement in Ukraine, if there is a negotiated settlement between President Zelensky and President Putin, between Russia and Ukraine, could impact European security in a significant way. For example, if there was a scenario where Putin believed that his 
military offensive had allowed him to advance his political objectives, you know, you know uh, sort of neutralize Ukraine as a threat, that that would encourage him to take further steps in Georgia, in Moldova, or even in a NATO state. Are you, is that something that you're worried about as well? That the, uh, the outcome of the Ukraine conflict could actually uh, lead to greater likelihood of war between NATO and Russia in the future? Um, you, um, we, we know that it is not only an attack to Ukraine. It is an attack to uh, democratic Europe, to the free world at all, including, of course, the all democracies and, and of course, uh, also uh, United States as the oldest and biggest democracy in the world is, uh, is uh, at stake here. Uh, so I would say that uh, it is uh, a general intention of Russia to change the uh, global uh, balance of power to the detriment of the Western democracies. And therefore, uh, we are worried uh, on that and therefore we are helping Ukraine. Of course, um, uh, the, result, uh, what, uh, the result should be that uh, uh, the goals of Putin uh, could, uh, should not be reached because then it is only a step uh, uh, and uh, one step and uh, they will follow uh, second and third steps. So uh, we should be, uh, we should be uh, warned and uh, we should be uh, also prepared to defend the democracies defend ourselves. So this is a challenge of the democracy and uh, democracy should not be weak. Democracy should be strong. And therefore, I think that our societies are uh, ready to uh, defend our democratic way of life. Of course, in, in particularly in NATO uh, member states, but in general, all democracies in the world. I'm sure you saw this week that the Biden administration announced a, it had formally assessed that Russian military forces have committed and are committing war crimes in Ukraine. And I wanted to ask you about that, especially given your history um, with the European Court of Justice. Do you think that the um, possibility of a of, uh, war crimes trial um, and these investigations that have been launched in, in countries, including Poland. Um, how significant do you believe these are? And what do you think the chances are for seeing Russian military officials or even potentially politicians and leaders overseeing the military operation will eventually be brought to justice in a court of law? Of course, uh, the, uh, Russia's war against Ukraine is a clear breach of international law also international humanitarian laws. There are war crimes uh, which uh, Russia committed in Ukraine and International Criminal Court in Hague already started the investigations. But uh, I uh, would support uh, to, uh, to, uh, the idea to establish a, a, a special uh, international tribunal like Nuremberg Tribunal uh, which will deal with this Russian aggression against Ukraine. It is uh, something uh, new after the Second World War. The Second World War ended with the Nuremberg Tribunal, 
And uh, this war should end also with a, a second Nuremberg Tribunal where uh, all the evidences uh, against uh, the personalities, against the state, would be collected and uh, with, will end with a judgment. So uh, there is already an, uh, an in initiative in, in this respect, uh, led by uh, former uh, uh, United Kingdom uh, Prime Minister Gordon Brown and other personalities, lawyers and politicians. And I think uh, we should go uh, forward in this direction also to establish a special uh, international tribunal uh, on uh, Russia's uh, war against Ukraine. I'd like to ask you about the refugee situation. We've seen this just staggering flow of refugees in recent weeks leaving Ukraine. Uh, and it amounts to almost one in four Ukrainians who's such safety in other countries. Can you tell us a little bit about the refugee situation in Latvia, specifically how many people are there and is Latvia getting assistance uh, to absorb and house and accommodate and feed all of these refugees? Yeah. There are over three million uh, refugees already. Uh, two million of them are in, in Poland now. There are more or less 10,000 or a little bit less than 10,000 in Latvia because we don't have a direct uh, border with Ukraine and we are welcoming Ukrainian uh, refugees and uh, there are all uh, uh, social assistance uh, which uh, is needed for them. Uh, so we uh, should uh, be ready to, um, uh, to have more refugees and uh, Latvian people are welcoming uh, the refugees because uh, you know that after the Second World War, uh, many Latvians were also refugees to the Western countries, Sweden, Germany, and then uh, emigrated to United States, for example, where the big Latvian community uh, exists now from uh, Second World War refugees. So we are uh, welcoming uh, Ukrainian uh, refugees and uh, trying to help uh, with all necessary uh, help that they need. And how does Latvia plan to reduce its dependence on Russian energy supplies? And more broadly, how do you think Europe can wean itself off of Russian oil and gas without jeopardizing the climate change goals that it has? Yeah, concerning Latvia, we should not overestimate our dependence uh, from uh, Russian energy. Approximately 10% of the oil are, uh, is imported from, from Russia, and uh, we will uh, buy this uh, on, in other, by other countries and other markets. So, uh, concerning uh, electricity, 7% 7% are coming from Russia and it's also possible to replace it. Uh, concerning gas, uh, we uh, have the most uh, imports are coming from uh, Russia concerning gas, natural gas, but it is possible also to replace uh, this natural gas coming, uh, which comes uh, from uh, Russia through LNGs uh, and uh, United States has just uh, offered to increase in exports of LNG uh, gas to Europe and we will also uh, benefit from this uh, US uh, exports of uh, natural gas to Europe.
I'm just going to try to squeeze in one final question, if I may, uh, that I didn't get to earlier. What is Latvia's position on whether or not NATO nations should be f uh, providing fighter jets to Ukraine? This has been interesting to watch. It's been a subject of, as you know, difference of opinion among different NATO nations. Yes, uh, our opinion is that uh, we should uh, give uh, to Ukraine all what uh, Ukraine needs in order uh, to defend uh, to, for the def self-defense uh, against uh, Russian aggression. But we don't have these plans and it is up to, up to uh, the nations which uh, could uh, donate uh, these uh, planes. And uh, there are different opinions till now, but uh, they are considering uh, each day uh, how it is possible to help Ukraine. Uh, we discussed uh, at the moment uh, the most effective uh, military help to Ukraine is to give anti-tank anti -tank, uh, missiles and anti-aircraft missiles. And uh, Ukraine is uh, getting this, and we will increase our uh, um, uh, our military help uh, concerning these uh, weapons. And I think uh, this would considerably strengthen the Ukrainian uh, side in this war. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. President Levitz, thank you so much for joining us here at Washington Post Live. And thank you for joining us here today. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.